Writing your oncology case report is a huge undertaking, and it's easy to make silly mistakes that can derail your entire writing process. That's why you need my brand new masterclass, the three-step framework for a finished case report. In this free masterclass, you'll learn three of the biggest mistakes to avoid when writing your case report, the secrets to actually finishing your case report, no matter the patient case you've chosen, and my proven three-step framework for starting and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at theoncopt.com slash framework. Again, that's theoncopt.com slash framework. One of the big things I really like to talk about in this podcast is the importance of referring patients to the appropriate providers so that they can get the specialized care that they need. But I'm going to kind of counter that today with a special circumstance. So I recognize that not everybody is in a urban setting where there are lots of providers who can help treat these patients. So consider this scenario. You have a patient that you're supposed to start treating. You know, you're going to do the evaluation on them, for example, and they have a history, whether recent or, you know, past, of a gynecological cancer. Here's the kicker. You're not a pelvic floor physical therapist. So what do you do? Do you try to stumble through an evaluation with this patient? Do you refer them out to a provider, try to find a provider who's actually a pelvic floor physical therapist who can help this patient? knowing that maybe that patient doesn't have access or we don't even have the resources in your community for that type of care? That's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. Welcome to the Onco PT Podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent Onco PT. Here's your host, Elise Decker. Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of the OncoPT Podcast. So as I mentioned in today's intro, what we're going to be discussing is how do you work with a patient who has a gynecological cancer diagnosis when you aren't a pelvic floor physical therapist? And as I mentioned previously, I'm a big believer in getting patients referred to specialists who can really spend the quality time delivering that high-level care to that patient that I know I cannot provide. So I am not a pelvic floor therapist at this time. I have very, very little experience even observing this population. However, even in my particular area, care, so specifically pelvic floor physical therapists are very far and few in between still. Now they're there, and I know they're there, and I definitely have those that I refer patients to, But I also recognize that not everybody who's listening to this podcast is in a metropolitan area where there's lots of providers, there's lots of different pelvic floor physical therapists who have experience working with these patients. I know I've even talked with a couple pelvic floor PTs on this podcast who have said there's even some people within the pelvic floor world that are intimidated by patients who have cancer. And I think that's not just specific to pelvic floor, unfortunately. That's something we see in PT in general. But we have to recognize that not every area is going to have those providers that we can easily refer patients to who are specialized in pelvic floor therapy. So what do we do when we see that we have a patient like this on our schedule? You know, maybe you're going out to see this patient. Maybe you're going into their their hospital room. Maybe they're coming into your clinic and 
before you start looking at this patient with deer in the headlights, you know, eyeballs, let's cover some things as far as what these patients might be experiencing and then kind of talk our way through how you as a non-pelvic floor PT can actually help these patients. So no surprise, these patients can present with a lot of different impairments that are not too different from the rest of our oncology patient population. A lot of times I see these patients have fatigue, they have weakness, they have balance problems, they have neuropathy. They might also have some pelvic floor problems that they tell me about. And again, I'm not a pelvic floor therapist. I'm not doing an evaluation looking at those specific things, but there's still different things that I can be looking at that these patients maybe are telling me about, or as I'm doing my different tests and measures, I'm finding out that, oh yes, they indeed have these problems. So again, even though I'm not able to directly care for that particular set of impairments, I still have a lot of things that I can do for my patients, and so do you. We know that these patients can have lymphedema, of course, these patients can have pain, so many different things that are within our wheelhouse as OncoPTs, even without that pelvic floor experience. This is definitely something I would like to get into in the future, but it's just not in the cards for me right now. So I have to know, okay, how can I actually help these patients get the care that they need? So we're going to cover three strategies to kind of frame how you should be approaching these patients. And some of these you're going to be able to start doing right away in the clinic, and the, some of the others are going to require a little work on your end up front, knowing that in the future you won't have to do that research again and again because you'll already have done it. So the best thing that I think you can start any evaluation with a patient who has a gynecological cancer diagnosis is to screen for these impairments. So screen to see if they're having, and it can be as simple as just asking them, are you having any difficulty with your bladder? Are you having any difficulty with your bowels? Are you having any problems with sex? Three simple questions that I know can make some people blush, especially the first few times they ask them, but these questions are so important for our patients because when we talk about these things and discuss that sometimes these things can be that can go wrong it normalizes that for the patient and I have to give full credit to Beth Hogue I interviewed her a few months ago on the podcast but she really put this concept of if we talk about it as the healthcare provider we are normalizing this experience for patients not to say that oh it's okay to have this problem but it's okay to talk about it and when patients feel empowered to talk about these problems, they're more likely to bring them up so that they can get help, so they can stop having problems and, you know, having pain, having uncomfortable sex, having problems with, you know, having bowel movements. There's so many things that are involved in here that we have such a wonderful capacity to be a part of as oncology physical therapists. So whether or not you believe it, or if you've not even thought about it yet, going to the bathroom, both peeing and pooping, and having sex are ADLs for our patients. And if you haven't considered that, here's your earth-shattering news of the day. It's happening, and your patients are wondering when they can get back to doing those things like they used to, or are they going to be able to get back to doing those things like they used to? 
Again, I, as the non-pelvic floor physical therapist, I'm not going to be the one who is solving all of these problems, but I sure as heck can find out where I can get the patient to, to get the help that they need. So screen the patient, have these conversations. I'll never forget, I had a patient who, oh, how old was she? I think she was in her 70s or 80s. I can't remember exactly, but the patient was in the room with her daughter and the daughter was kind of helping us through the evaluation and so I had I was screening this patient because she had a um, recent diagnosis of gynecological cancer I asked her if she was having any problems you know bowel bowel impairments uh, bladder impairments or sexual dysfunction and she and I used of course very basic language because I want the patients to understand but the patient was very upfront with me and she said yes actually I'm really worried uh, that I won't be able to get back to having sex with my husband. And keep in mind, you know, these are older individuals that we were talking about here. And she was extremely upfront with me, which I so appreciated. I was so grateful that she felt comfortable enough to have that conversation with me. And so we spend some time talking about that. Unfortunately, her oncologist who specializes in gynecological cancers had not had the conversation with her yet about sex and I was the first person to bring it up which I was really shocked by but unfortunately it's the truth in a lot of different scenarios not just this one so for that patient even just screening her for impairments opened up a really great conversation to have with this patient and then fortunately she was really receptive so I was able because I and we'll get to this point next But because I had already done the research in my community to find out who the pelvic floor therapists were in the area and who the pelvic floor therapists in the area who were comfortable working with the oncology patient population were, I was able to get this patient referred immediately and to start care with that physical therapist who again had much more Um, you know, experience and understanding as far as some of the specific areas this patient needed help with. And so got her in and we were able to get treatment started for her from a pelvic floor physical therapy standpoint almost immediately. And it was so great. And if I had never asked the question with the patient just to say, hey, are you having problems with this? I never would have known that it was a problem. And just because a patient doesn't bring it up in the evaluation or even in the first few visits doesn't mean that they are not having problems with this particular area, whether it's pelvic floor related or something else. But again, going back to what Beth Hogue said is that if we're not talking about it and we're not normalizing that it's okay and it's good to have conversations about this, then patients don't know that we can potentially help them. Again, I'm not doing anything to help this patient with her bowel, bladder, and sexual dysfunction, but I'm helping her to get the help that she needs from the qualified professional. So so step number one that we're talking about here, so screen the patient for the impairments. You have to ask the questions. And even if you're not verbally asking the questions, it can be a simple, you know, little maybe questionnaire that you're doing. There's lots of really fabulous questionnaires out there um, that can be used to, you know, as part of intake to screen patients if they're having these problems. You know, maybe you're not doing this out in the middle of, 
you know, the clinic, for example, maybe you take the patient into a private space or you, you know, wait until you and the patient are alone where you maybe the patient feels more comfortable answering these questions. So there's lots of different ways that you can do it. But the most important thing you have to be doing is you have to screen these patients, screen them for the impairments, and then get them referred to the appropriate provider there after you screen them. So step number one, screen and refer. Now, let's say you're in an environment where access to pelvic floor physical therapy is not readily available for patients. Maybe you're in a more rural setting, maybe that you haven't found the pelvic floor physical therapist yet. So here's where we get into step two, and that is educate the patient on pelvic floor impairments and then how PT can help. So I find that if patients know a little more about what pelvic floor PT is and how it can actually help them, they're much more receptive to actually seeking out this help. And sometimes I do have to do this, even my patients who I've screened them, they've answered, yes, I am having problems and I want to refer them. Sometimes they feel a little suspicious of it, again, because I think partially because they a lot of people haven't heard about it and a lot of people are apprehensive of, you know, I just finished with blah, blah treatment. Now I'm coming to PT and now I'm going to go to some other PT. So having the time to really educate the person on, okay, here's what the pelvic floor is. Here are some of the problems people can face as a result of, you know, this type of cancer treatment that you've had, for example, and then how pelvic floor physical therapy can help. Again, you do not have to be an expert in this area to have an intelligent conversation with a person and explain to them on their level how it helps and why you think the person would benefit from it. One of the things that goes along with step number two, again, this education part, is you have to know what resources are available in your area for patients. So again, when I was starting to see more patients who had some kind of pelvic floor impairments, I had to do some research to find out, okay, who's in my area that I could actually refer patients to? And thankfully, there's a couple pelvic floor PTs in my area who have experience in the oncology patient population. And so that made it really, really easy for me. Um, actually, it was really, really easy because I had actually been a patient at one of the clinics and had a fabulous experience. And so through my time there, I really got to talk with the therapist about, okay, you know, here's what I do. I want to know what you would do. And I learned that They've been treating oncology patients for actually a few years now. They have a lot of experience. And so even, you know, from that, that made me so much more comfortable in sending patients to them. And I think that through that comfort level, I was then able to convey how strongly I felt about these providers and how confident I felt that they could appropriately treat the patients in what they needed. And so I think having that, you know, kind of personal connection, again, you don't have to go out and be a patient of one of these, but if you can pick up the phone and call these other places, if you're looking for a therapist to say, hey, you know, here's what I do, here's where I'm at, I need a therapist that I can refer patients to, you know, do you have this kind of experience? And, you know, if you can, again, form that connection, that can help you 
of course, get your patients the care that they need, but I think it also really contributes to a very reciprocal relationship where I know I have patients who I have, you know, gotten from other places because, again, I've been reaching out and saying, hey, I, my patients need this and I can't provide it, but I know we can help each other out. I know that you can help my patients. And so, you know, I think it's a really good opportunity for collaboration and camaraderie. So you won't know who's out there, though, until you start looking. So thankfully, the I think it's still named the Women's Health Academy in APTA. I don't quote me on that. If you're listening to this in the future, the name might have changed by now. But the Women's Health Academy has a search capacity where you can search for board certified uh, women's health physical therapist in your area. And I know that you can also, of course, do a simple Google search. And depending on what kind of professional organizations you're a part of, what different societies, you may even be able to search there. But if you don't get out and do a little bit of digging on the internet, you won't know who's out there. And a lot of times that if you just put in a little bit of work on the front end, you're able to then take that information and use it in your future education of future patients. So again, this is where if you do a little bit of work on the front end, then you don't have to do as much work on the back end when you come up with these, you know, patient scenarios where you don't know where to send the patient, but with a little research, you'll know where to send the patient and where you feel comfortable And then ultimately, you can educate your patient with more information that you are certain of so that you can empower them to make the right decision for them. So step number two is educate the patient on pelvic floor, the impairments, and then how PT can help them. Again, hopefully at this point you've already screened them and maybe they're on the fence about going to a provider, but... With this education, hopefully, again, you're encouraging them to get that care that you are not able to provide. So let's take this hypothetical one step further. You have a patient who's been diagnosed with some kind of gynecological cancer. They have pelvic floor impairments. You've screened them. You have tried to refer them. You know, you said, hey, I really think you would benefit. And maybe they say no. I've had that. And that's okay. Your patients are allowed to say no. Maybe you're coming at it from a different perspective. Maybe you have a patient who you know would benefit, but maybe the pelvic floor physical therapist is a few hours away. Or maybe they have a wait list and that patient can't get in for a little while. So what do you do in those situations? Hopefully your answer is not kick the patient out the door and say, oh, sorry, Hope you can get into pelvic floor physical therapy sometime because that is completely wrong. What I would do in this scenario and what I've done previously is I will go through my evaluation, of course. I'll see what the patient is experiencing, you know, what they're having problems with. And then I will treat the impairments that I know and I feel comfortable with that are within my scope of practice. So all those other impairments that I talked about previously, weakness, balance problems, fatigue, neuropathy, pain, you know, lymphedema, all of those things I feel comfortable treating. And even if I'm not able to completely address the pelvic floor issues, 
I can still have a big impact in those other areas in the patient. And that's okay. Even if I'm not able to fix everything, I'm still working on the important things to that patient. Maybe in the meantime, you know, I'm educating them more on, hey, I think you would really benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. And I've had patients who will, you know, I'll see them for a little bit and then we'll work on their impairments. And then at that point, maybe they feel ready to go to pelvic floor PT and then I'll get them referred over and set up over there. And that's totally fine. Sometimes I have patients who will go to pelvic floor PT first. You know, I'll do the evaluation, say, hey, I think you should really consider pelvic floor PT. They'll go see that PT for a little bit and then they'll come back to me and then we'll work on those other, you know, musculoskeletal impairments. And that's totally fine too. I thankfully have not been in the situation where patients have not been able to get into pelvic floor PT because of a wait list. But I think you could very much still take the approach of treat the impairments that they're having now that are within your scope of practice. And then when they're finally able to get into pelvic floor PT, you know, maybe then you discharge them and then they then uh, transition into pelvic floor PT. So there's lots of different ways that we can do this. And this is where you really have to customize it to what is available within your practice, what's available within your area, and what meets the patient needs the best. So here we've covered step number three, which is treat the other impairments within your scope. And it's, you know, there's three steps here that I've covered, but they're not necessarily linear. Sometimes I would even have patients who we would get the referral in, you know, we'd get them on the phone and when, you know, say my, my, you know, my staff would get them on the phone and ask, you know, like what's going on, they would say this, that, and the other. If they felt that they were more appropriate for pelvic floor physical therapy or if they had questions, I could hop on the phone or I could call the patient back and say, hey, I think you would actually really benefit from this. So I'm screening them for impairments even before I get them in the door if I have that opportunity. That's not happening with every patient. But it's an option in trying to get the patient, again, the care that they need from the provider who matches what they need the best. So three steps that we've talked about here as far as what can you do as a non-pelvic floor PT for patients who have a gynecological cancer diagnosis. So step number one, screen and refer to the appropriate providers Educate the patients on pelvic floor impairments, what the pelvic floor even is, and then how PT is beneficial for the pelvic floor. And in that kind of sub step here is you have to know what resources are out there. And so this is where you can do some research to say, oh, this, this, and this provider in this part of town or whatnot can help you with this. And then step number three here is treat the other impairments within your scope of practice with what you feel comfortable doing. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a pelvic floor PT. I don't feel comfortable treating those things, but I can definitely help with the fatigue and the weakness and building up strength. And, you know, maybe I'm even doing, you know, a little bit of, you know, maybe like S, you know, like sacroiliac joint work that I feel comfortable with, but you know, that's pretty much where I'm saying, okay, I don't want to stumble through this anymore. I want to get you sent to the appropriate provider and that's okay. So 
part of this is knowing where you feel comfortable and then knowing where the resources are for when you get up to your level of comfort and then can get the patient connected with that appropriate provider. So I wanted to cover this because I know I've had lots of experts on over the past few months about pelvic floor PT and it's been awesome. But I also recognize again that not everybody is going to be in a super urban area where there's lots of different providers and specialists that you know we can all be connected with. That would be great if everybody was but we can't discount that there are still a lot of people in rural America and other parts of the world who don't have that access. And, you know, ideally we're building up telehealth and that can be very much a part of our practice, but sometimes that's not always the case and we have to be able to meet the patient where we're at. And so this episode was designed to empower you to be able to do some of that stuff. So, Thank you so very much for listening today, everybody. I really appreciate it. One last thing that I do want to make sure I close with. So tomorrow, so at the time of this release, it is October 28th. And tomorrow, October 29th, I am doing the, I'm hosting um, a virtual patient remembrance day. And if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that this was really brought to my attention by a fellow listener Lisa, whom I'm so grateful for suggesting this. But, you know, with everything that's going on, I think it's a really wonderful time to take a step back and honor a patient's memories and also give ourselves the space to come together to remember our patients, to grieve our patients, to support each other in our grief, and ultimately just lift each other up as a community. So I hope you will join me. I will have the uh, meeting, virtual meeting information within the, this episode show notes. And I would really, really love to see you there. And if you would like to participate in any way, I would be so grateful if you would. Um, I really want this to be a supportive and loving, encouraging, safe space for everybody to come to. So if you have any way that you want to participate, please let me know. You can email me at theoncopt at gmail.com. Otherwise, I will see you in tomorrow's virtual patient remembrance day. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT podcast. For more episodes, visit theoncopt.com.